The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming. There's no doubt about it. He is coming. Um, the promises that have been made in the Bible, though they are 2,000 years old, uh, the fact remains that Jesus promised before he left that he would come again, and he is coming. That is a central truth, or that, that coming of Jesus is a central truth to the child of God. Um, it's, it's a part of Christianity. It gives us the motivation to fulfill our stewardship that has been entrusted to us. Um, I work and you work with urgency and with diligence because we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know he's coming. The Bible tells us that, um, or compares the return of Jesus like a man who has servants and he's gone on a, a faraway trip. And while he was gone, he left his servants in charge of his goods. They were stewards of what was his. And he promised them that he would come back. And when he came back, they were to have in order uh, the, the things that he had left them entrusted with. You didn't want to be a servant and have that master come back when you weren't expecting him. And that illustration is given to represent the return of Jesus Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he will require of us that stewardship that he's entrusted us with, and so we better be ready for his return. Now, history is sprinkled with men and women who have tried to set the dates of the return of Jesus. There are those who have uh, been prognosticators and and those who have uh, been date setters. And, and there are a host of dates from hundreds of years ago, uh, from until then, until the present. Uh, and you can go back farther than that. But there are people who said, I've got it figured out. I know when Jesus is coming again. Well, those dates, as you know, have all come and gone. Uh, one of the most uh, significant ones was in 1988. Uh, the, the American Bible Tract Society, I believe, uh, printed a book entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. At the time, we were living in West Virginia, and uh, there were churches that banded together on, I think the date was September 12th, if I remember correctly. They thought for sure that the Lord was coming back on September the 12th. Well, he didn't. And all these people were gathered together, and they couldn't understand why. And so the man who began it all and had it all figured out said, well, maybe there's a three-day window. It may be the 13th or the 14th. Those days came and went. And he said, well, maybe instead of a three-day window, it was a three-year window. Maybe that's where I made my mistake. And he didn't come in 89 or 90 or 91 either. Um, these kind of predictions have happened time and time again. And after they have failed to come to pass, there has been a scrambling of trying to reinterpret or say, well, what I really meant was, but now let me tell you about something that probably you have heard about. On May the 21st, 2011, at 6 p.m., Jesus is going to come again. Now, that is according to some men who have uh, apparently figured this all out. 
Um, there are those who say that when Jesus comes on May the 21st, that there will be, uh, well, those who have paid attention to Scripture will be ready. Those who haven't, they'll be caught unprepared. But on this day, May 21st, 2011, Jesus is to return, and when he does, that will begin the day of judgment. On this day, those who are faithful will be taken out of the world, according to this man, and those who are uh, unfaithful will be left here to endure five months of turmoil and tribulation until on October the 21st, Jesus brings the whole thing to a close and and brings it all uh, together. But what are we to do with that date? Now, I've listened to this man for about the last month, probably more than I should have listened to him, and, and he is emphatic that this is true and that he has it figured out. Furthermore, he has said there is no possible way to interpret it. You know, if he doesn't come or if, if, if there was to be a May 22nd, there's no reinterpretation. Either God is going to keep his word or he's not. There's no other way, he says, that I can look at this. It will happen on the 21st. Well, I want us to look at that statement and and try to understand where he's coming from. We're just a week away. Next Sunday will not happen for the faithful of God if what he's saying is true. But if he is telling the truth, then next Sunday will be a day of tribulation for those of us who would be left here on this earth. Well, what we're told is that Jesus is going to return on May 21st at 6 o'clock. Now, how 6 o'clock? Well, and how is it going to be 6 o'clock everywhere? Well, what he says is that Jesus is going to return on May 21st at the international date line and just make his way around. And as every hour changes, he'll be there. And as this coming around the world, as he does this, he'll be at every location on the earth at 6 o'clock p.m. And as he travels, he will leave a wake of destruction. Earthquakes like this world has never seen before. Those who are left are not going to be left here on this earth, as he says, uh, in a way that they can just carry on with life and just the good people are gone and we'll just do business as usual. He says that the world will be so turned upside down and devastated that life will just become a matter of survival. There won't be funerals. Bodies will be left laying out. Nobody will have time or the ability to to bury anybody. Millions of people will die in that five-month period, and your only thought will be that of survival. Well, during this time, he says, the righteous, though, will be raptured out of the earth and taken to be with God, and they'll escape all this torment. But this prediction that he's made, and what we may be asking is, well, where in the world does this come from? How does a person come up with a theory like this? And maybe, is he on to something here? Could he be right? I've heard a lot of people on the radio um, the last month or so, as they call into this man's talk show, um, they're scared. They're concerned about their condition before God. They don't want to face eternity. 
separated from God. And what he's telling them is scaring them. And they want to be ready, but they don't know how to be ready. And, and they want information about insight. How did you figure all this out and so forth? And, and there's a lot of people that are upset by what he has to say. But I, on your outline, if you picked one up when you came in, here's a rough summary of how he arrives at the May 21st, 2011 date. First of all, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 4. I'm going to just kind of walk you through real quickly what he has to say about how he arrived at this date. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 4, This is the time of the flood, and God has been telling Noah to build this ark, and finally it's gotten down to the point where it's time to get in the ark. And he tells Noah, for after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I'll destroy from the face of the earth um, all living things that I have made. So God says, Noah, seven days, this whole thing starts. So Noah was given a seven-day advance notice that this is going to take place. Well, then this man turns to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, which says that a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And so those seven days prior to the flood of Noah translate to him as 7,000 years. He dates the flood in the year 4990, and if you add 7,000 years to 4,990, take away one because there is no year zero, you end up at 2011. And the flood happened on the second month, the 17th day, and according to the biblical calendar, that works out to May the 21st, 2011. That's his rationale. Now, he has some cooperative or collaborative um, uh, co- cooperating, excuse me, uh, evidences that you can read that are very confusing about numbers. He places uh, significance on s- certain numbers and multiplies them and comes up with things. But basically, that's, that's what he says. This coming Saturday is going to be Judgment Day. Jesus is coming again. Thousands of billboards across our country have this May 21st, 2011 date on it, telling people it's Judgment Day. Uh, People have left their jobs and have taken up full-time just traveling in caravans across our nation trying to tell people and to warn them that this coming Saturday is the end of time. Um, Those kind of things are, are taking place. Are people deceived or do they have insight that we just haven't picked up on? What do we make of, of this theory that he has come up with? And, and is it valid? Is it truthful? Or should we be concerned by what he has to say? Well, let's, let's take a look. I think there are some problems with what this man has proposed for us. And the first problem is that of time and the nature of God. The entire theory of getting, because there was seven days warning for Noah, there's 7,000 years warning before Jesus and the judgment day, before he comes again. 
that is all based on the passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. That a day to the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Now listen, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and read in that context and tell me if there is anything in that passage that would indicate that was some kind of time marker that God intended for us to understand with relation to the flood concerning the return of Jesus. There is nothing. That is a horrible abuse and misuse of that passage. That is not some kind of a mathematical thing that we can place and and plug into the text somewhere and, and try to figure out some calculation as to determining the time of Jesus' return. Listen, here's what's going on. It's about 35 or so years after Jesus has left, and there are scoffers. And here are these Christians who have said that Jesus died, he rose again, and he said he's coming back, and 35 years have passed. And these scoffers say, oh, yeah? Well, if he's coming back, where is he? And they were making fun of Christians, and Christians were saying he's coming back. And this mockery, you know, these Christians go home at night and do they have something? I didn't expect it to take 35 years. Are they on to something? Could I be wrong? And so Peter says to these Christians, listen, yeah, it's been 35 or so years, but I want to remind you of something. God is not bound by time. A day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is just like a day to Him. Don't allow the amount of time that has passed from the promise that Jesus made to make you think that maybe He's forgotten. The Lord, He says in the very next verse, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is coming again. And the fact that there has been a 35-year delay or a 2,000-year delay in his return should not dissuade us at all because God isn't bound by time. A thousand years sounds like a long time to us. It's nothing to God. That's all that passage is saying. It's like a day to him. And a day to us seems like a relatively short amount of time. To God, it could be the same thing as a thousand years. It means nothing to him. If we were going to take a passage like that, well, why not take Psalm 90 that says that a day to the Lord or a thousand years to the Lord is as yesterday? Why don't we take that and try to figure that out? What do we do with that? Well, let's see. A thousand years is as yesterday, so Jesus has already come. Uh, you know, it, it, that's not the intent. The intent of that passage is to simply say God is not bound by time. What we think is a long time or what we think is a short time, it's all the same to God. God is infinite. He's always existed before and He'll exist after. And this little period of time right here that we're living in, that means nothing to God. So don't let people throw or overturn your faith because it's been a little while since He returned or since the giving of the promise. A second problem, and upon that, is based his entire theory. And if that is not what was meant by 2 Peter 3, then he has nothing upon which to base his theory. Another thing that we need to consider is how to approach the text. That's another problem that he has. Instead of taking the Bible and looking at it 
as a literal communication with words that we understand, he tries to allegorize everything. Instead of saying uh, uh, those seven days in Genesis leading up to the flood were seven days, he somehow has to look into that and say, now, what that really means is 7,000 years till the judgment day. That's not what the text says. That's not what was under consideration in that context at all. And if we try to throw all these spiritual meanings into plain words in Scripture, we can make the Bible mean whatever we want it to mean. I had a teacher once who said, if the literal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense lest it result in nonsense. And that is good advice, especially when it comes to this issue. Listen, if, if when you read the Bible, read it as though it were a literal inter, uh, an instruction. If my wife said to me, Steve, go to the store and get a gallon of milk, I don't say, now what did she mean by a gallon of milk? wonder what that meant. Oreos, maybe? I, I don't know. But, you see, I understand exactly what she meant. She, because she used words, and words have meaning, and, and I understand that's what... But now, when do, does that mean that there's nothing figurative in the Bible, nothing spiritual? No, there are those passages that are to be considered as allegory or spiritual. But context tells us that. When Jesus looked at Herod and said, that fox, was he insinuating that Herod had a bushy tail? Or was he saying that he had qualities that resembled a fox? You see, that makes it... When the literal sense doesn't make good sense, that's when we're supposed to say, he means something else by that. When Jesus says, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. If your right eye offend you, pluck it out. Well, if we've ever sinned with our eyes or with our hands, why are we walking around with hands and eyes? Because we understand that that's not what he was talking about. That, that's figurative in those passages. Because after actually, cutting off your hands doesn't keep you from sin, nor does plucking out your eyes keep you from sin. But they... It makes a point, does it not, that we should go to any any length to keep from sinning. Well, when Jesus says what he says about Second Peter, or when Peter says days is a thousand years, thousand years is a day, when it's all about God's nature, he's not bound by time, and when we look at the Bible and we look at Passages about Noah's flood. What does that have to do with the second coming of Christ? There's nothing in there about that unless we try to make it be there. And that's what he's done. He's taken a figurative approach to Scripture rather than a literal. And another thing that he has done is that he, well, this is not his first prophecy. This man has thousands of followers he has an international radio broadcast that is, goes all over the world. And people have sold their houses and sold their goods. And as I said, they, they are on this mission because they think they're only going to be here till next Saturday. His, 
his background is that in 1994, he made a similar prediction that the Lord would return, judgment day would occur in 1994. Well, 1994 came and it went, and as you know, Jesus did not return. And what we need to do is to apply what the Bible says about false teachers. Turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 20. Now, if, well, if you back up to verse 15, God has promised that God, that he would raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and you shall hear him. So, I mean, the children of Israel at this time were following Moses. He was their spiritual leader. He, he directed, he guided them. He was the one that had direct communication to God. And so they listened to Moses. But God said, now listen, there is coming a time when I will raise up another prophet like unto Moses, and you need to listen to him. Well, who's that going to be? What if just any old person stood up and said, I'm him. Follow me. This is what God wants us to do. Here's what the Lord said, and here's how we're to determine that. And it shall be, verse 19, that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen to come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken, and the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. If a man speaks and says, the Lord said, and what he says does not come to pass, which is exactly what happened in 1994, He said, that is a presumptuous statement. That is not a prophet of God. You're not to listen to him. Furthermore, you're not to be frightened by him. He shouldn't be able to scare you. I hear people saying, and last night I was listening for a little bit, and there was a lady that called in on that program, and she said, I'm scared. I don't know what to believe. I don't know whether you're telling the truth or not. I just don't want to be unprepared, and you have me scared. According to Deuteronomy, a man who speaks for the Lord, but that thing doesn't come to pass, don't let that person worry you because they're not a true prophet of God because if they were, it would have come to pass. Well, that's what he says, and these are a few of the problems with his position. Let me tell you what the Bible says before we close this morning. What is it that the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ? Well, first of all, Jesus is coming back. You remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, as Jesus ascended into heaven in the midst of the apostles, they're all standing there. And as they stand gazing up into the heaven, as Jesus goes off, an angel appears and says, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? Don't you know that this same Jesus who just ascended, he's, he's going to come back again in, in a like fashion? So... It's promised that he'll come back. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, turn, well, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew 24 because we'll be looking at a couple passages there. But in Matthew 24, verse 44, 
The Bible says, Therefore also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect Him. He, he is coming again. So that's the first thing. The Bible says Jesus is coming back. That much this man has rights. Well, here's what else the Bible says. But the time of his coming is a mystery. What happens if you know there's going to be a test? You cram for it. Finals week in college is a time of cramming because everybody knows they've got a test, they've got to pass it, and all that time that we've had messing around and goofing off and all that, now it's time to get serious. And so finals week is often a difficult week for folks. What do you think would happen if Jesus said, I'm coming back on May 21st? People would wait to the last minute and then they'd make amends and they would try to pull a fast one on God. And that's not what God wants. He wants genuine followers, not those who are trying to to beat him out in some kind of a game. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, read what he says in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Isn't it interesting that this man has not only selected a day, but also the hour itself that Jesus is coming back? But the Lord says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, um, only my father, my father only knows. Um, So the time, it's a mystery. I know he's coming again, but I don't know when it's going to be. And so here's a third thing that I think we ought to take note of, and that is that when he does come, there will be no signs. I can't look at the sky or the stars or society or nations and say, aha, it's soon because this, that, and the other. There will be no signs given. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, again, read with me in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 37, but as in the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Everybody's just going about life as usual. People are getting married. They they think they have their life ahead of them. People in the days of the flood were, were eating and drinking and marrying like life was good. And then... It just suddenly was gone. He said, that's how when I come again, that's the way it's going to be. There will be no signs. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says that when Jesus comes again, he'll come as a thief in the night. Listen, have you ever heard of a thief that calls ahead and says, um, just give you a heads up, I'll probably be there tomorrow night about midnight to two. I'm not sure exactly, but give you, a, give you an idea. No, thieves don't do that. Thieves don't leave signs so that you can know when they're coming. They want to come when you don't expect them to come. And that's the very way that God says Jesus is coming again. He's going to come like a thief in the night. When you're not ready, when you're not expecting them, when there will be no signs. 
The Bible also says when he comes, the creation will be destroyed. The earth, the elements in it, the works in it, the universe, all of that will be destroyed and melted, done away. God will have fulfilled his purpose with it. It's no longer needed. This place was, as Brother Warren used to say, a a veil of soul-making. This earth was created to help us develop our souls, our spirits, so that we can live eternally with God. And when that's done, he has no further use for it. And so the Bible tells us that it will be destroyed. And then finally, the Bible tells us that when he does come, the dead will rise, John 5. When he comes, it's not just, he won't be coming in a rapture just for the righteous, as many people teach today. You read John chapter 5, verses 28 and verse 29, and it says that when he comes, the graves will be open, and the dead who are righteous and the dead who are unrighteous will both rise from the dead. And those who were righteous will go to a heavenly reward, and those who are unrighteous will be punished with condemnation. So when Jesus comes again, there will be a resurrection. And not only that, but those who are alive and remain will be changed. If I haven't died and I'm not in a grave when Jesus comes again, I'm not left out. I just get changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, my physical body takes on properties that are incorruptible and immortal. And I will meet the dead, and we will be judged, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. That's what the Bible says about the judgment. When Jesus comes again is a mystery. I don't know. It could be a million years from now. Or it could be before I finish this sermon. I don't know when he's coming. But it is certain that he's coming. And the fact that 2,000 years have passed since the giving of the promise, that doesn't shake my faith at all because God is not bound by time. A day is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is as a day. I trust in him. He's proven himself faithful in the past, and I trust that he'll prove himself faithful with this promise as well. He's not giving me any signs. He's just told me to be prepared to be ready, because since I don't know when he's coming, what manner of person should I be, Peter says. Here's what I want to close with, and it's this this truth. Might Jesus return on May the 21st? Absolutely. But it won't be because of some man predicting his return and having figured some theory or formula out in Scripture, absolutely Jesus could return on May the 21st. But it won't be because of a prediction. It'll be because of God's divine ordination. It's because that would just happen to be the day that he said he would come again. Now again, it may not, we, we may not even have till May the 21st. You know, God in his wisdom could be sitting in heaven right now saying, all right, I'm going to give these folks one last chance, one final invitation to accept what my son did for them. And if they say no, that's all they get. And we're just going to wrap this thing up today. If that were to happen, 
where would you go? What would happen? Set aside what this man has predicted. Set aside all of that and just ask yourself, where would I go if Jesus returned right now? There will be a last sermon you ever hear. Whether today's it, I don't know. There will be a last sunrise that you ever witness. There will be a last meal that you ever eat. I don't know when any of those things will be, but I do know there will be an end, whether through death or the Lord's return. And so my question is, and it's what Peter ended his chapter with when he was trying to encourage those Christians who were having to deal with scoffers in, in their day, saying, where is the promise of His coming? You keep saying He's coming back and He hasn't come back. When's He coming back? Peter said, don't let Him get to you. Hang in there. He's coming like a thief in the night. He will come again. And the only reason He hasn't come is that He's long-suffering and He's wanting people to repent. But when He decides to come back, He will come back and we better be found ready. What manner of persons ought we to be in light of the second coming of Christ, the judgment day? We need to be holy and righteous. Are you holy and righteous today? If this were it, if we sing this song of encouragement in just a minute, and it's the last time that God ever lets us have, and five minutes after we're done here this morning, He says it's over. If you stay in your seat this morning... Would you be saved or would you be lost? We have no idea about May 21st, but I know with certainty that he's coming again. And if you're not ready, if you have not taken care of the stewardship that God has given you, make that right this morning. There's no reason to leave here this morning unprepared to meet God. God loves you. He wants the best for you. If you haven't responded to the gospel by being baptized, why don't you do that this morning? May 21st may be right. Not because of what the man predicted, but it might just be a part of God's arrangements. It may be today. Are you ready? If you haven't obeyed the gospel or if you need to get your life right, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.